Okay, everyone, if you're looking to study Ableton software with a super top-notch instructor for the cost of a hoodie sweatshirt, listen to this episode. Today on the show, we have Eve Horn, a UK-based recording artist, producer, songwriter, and audio engineer. And she's also started a pretty major campaign called We Are The Unheard. And it's helping women find their way into the music and audio industry, a lot like Soundgirls. So we talked to her about songwriting, software preferences, and she makes a pretty big announcement on the show about the Unheard Academy. Eve Horn is just one of those people that gets stuff done and she inspires others to do the same. I think you're gonna like hearing what she has to say. And as always, thanks for listening. Hi Eve, how are you? I'm good, thank you, how are you? Stuff's going okay. It's really hot in Brooklyn here. It's super muggy, like the start of summer, and anybody in New York knows what I'm talking about. It's all of a sudden you're like, why do I live here? (laughs) (laughs) What's it like over there? You're in London, right? I am in London. Um, It's actually quite warm here as well. You wouldn't notice it to look out the window at the moment, but it's actually quite warm. Yeah, cloudy, but muggy as well. But I must say, like, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be here. And secondly, I actually love Brooklyn. I do too. That's why anybody stays here, because there's there's a lot of reasons to leave. But it's it's a beautiful place. (laughs) So I guess I was so thrilled that you accepted our invitation because we align so much mission-wise and what you're doing. But you are this eccentric, multifaceted (laughs) woman singer, engineer, producer, songwriter, author. Okay, just throw in author. I mean, it's all kinds of things. And then we'll talk about We Are the Unheard after we get a little bit in. So I wondered if you could start me out with kind of your trajectory and how you started and found the love of audio, which you clearly have. (laughs) I do. And I just, I met some random people on the train earlier and they had like t-shirts on and I was like, are you going anywhere? Like, do you love music? I love music too. Like any opportunity, I'm like, yeah, 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 because music's life. Music's life, right? So (laughs) um, I basically started, like from when I was a kid, like I'm talking about six, I just fell in love with music. So I would have my little cassette player in my bedroom. I had this tiny room that you could just about fit a single bed and a wardrobe. And I had this cassette player. And, you know, when the DJ used to speak over it, you'd quickly press pause because you was recording your favorite song. And then, you know, I'd always like get my tapes and I'd be cutting out the bits and sticking it back together. And, you know, um, as we all did, anyone who knows what a cassette is. Yeah. So I was about six and I used to always sing like to the wall because someone has said that that was a good thing to do, to hear your voice back, you know. So I'd sing all my favourite songs to the wall. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I know, bless me. And then I guess my first, I used to then watch MTV downstairs and I would do the same with my VHS tapes. And I I was like really young, I was in primary school. And then I I guess my first (laughs) ever commercial experience. I always say it's the beginning of my actual career in music was when I was 13 and and I went to the Brit School, which is a, it's like the UK performing arts school. And it just opened in 1991. And I was one of the first ever students to go there. Wow. And And it's a famous school. Yeah, it is. They're actually having an anniversary this year and I'm going to the party. I say it's a party, it's a whole day event. Um, So it's going to be lovely. Yeah, but that's where my my kind of career started because directly from the Brit School, 
I got my first signing. But I think as well, something else happened at the Brit School and, and it was when I first performed on a stage. And there was another girl and myself in this girl group and we sung an a cappella of a Mary J. Blige song. And I was so scared. I'd practiced so much in front of my mom and done it at home. And I was all nervous. And my mum had given me feedback. And she was like, oh, you're really, you know, timid. You should come out, express yourself more. Because the other girl was really expressing herself. And anyway, they, they came <laughs> and watched, watched me on stage in my first ever performance uh, from the Brit School. And I'm absolutely crapping myself. You know, it's my first ever time. <laughs> nervous, can't speak, sweating. And I get out on stage and something completely changed in me. And I felt home. And that was my first physical experience from it going to my mind to being on stage where I knew that is what I'm supposed to definitely be doing my whole life. That's beautiful. That's such a, a reaffirming thing when you have a physical experience like that. So can you talk about Juice? Was that your first sign? No, actually, my first sign was a girl group called Montage. And so from the Brit School, we got signed to Polydor. And we were lucky enough to perform like Wembley Arena with Backstreet Boys and Boyzone and Peter Andre. And, and actually, I was so, so lucky to come to Brooklyn and work with the late Andrea Martin, you know, God rest her soul. Um, what a, a beautiful woman, beautiful presence. And I had the pleasure of her writing the bridge to the song that, that she wrote for us, like in the studio with us at the time. And I actually got her to write it down. So I was going to get it tattooed and I, I still got it in my drawer. I haven't done it yet, but yeah, I'm going to still get it done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So then you've kind of been in quite a few different bands. Yeah. Juice is the second one. So we basically, the, the first one was like a funk rock R&B <laughs> group and we had a live band. It was great. And then, the way that I met Juice was just insane. I won't, like, that's another manifestation thing that was very, very strange. Just, I'll use one simple example of that. And when you're in a girl group, you're not supposed to like any other girl group. It's just the rules, right? You're just like, <laughs> oh, we all hate each other. Like, you're not meant to like them. But I, I was still living at home. I was 18 or something like that. And I saw this group on MTV. I didn't even know who they were. And I just got that feeling again and I really liked them hadn't even heard of them before but I was like I love these girls I just had this connect this thing that was it and then I go on tour with a friend of mine who hadn't done arena shows before and I was helping her use a stage because I'd done it so I was like you know you've got to do this and this and this and anyway one of the girls from this group that I didn't even realize had come out and seen me thought I was her manager we do the show Hinda, her name was, was my friend, did a great job. And then this group comes on. I was like, oh, that's, the, that's those from television. So I was like, oh, my God, we need to go backstage and tell them how great they were. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We became friends and we were bigging each other up all up on the tour. I joined up to their fan club, as you do. And then, lo and behold, one of the girls in their group is doesn't want to be in the group anymore. And I find out on this tour, they want me to be in the group. Loads of stuff happened in between. But anyway, I joined the group. One day I come back to the UK and I go into my house and there is a thing on the floor from Juice's fan club. And it says, hi Eve, welcome to Juice's fan club. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. And I turn it over and I'm on the front. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. What a story. That is super manifesty. 
Yeah. But yeah, Juice was brilliant. I mean, we were, Soul Shock and Carlin did our albums and anyone who knows who they are knows they are absolutely brilliant and they've, they've done some amazing things. We've worked with Peter Beaker, who works with them as well. Our Christmas song was written by Remy and he, you know, he's a fantastic guy as well. And it's still the most played Christmas song 20 years later in Denmark. So it's it's insane. <laughs> That is insane. Who would have thought, right? That's yeah. I love that about history, looking back. So if you could talk a little bit about Magpie and what that is. Sure. So I am Magpie. <laughs> so when I when I came back to the UK, I suffered from depression and you know, I'm very open about that. And I went through some transitions and really felt like a massive failure because I'd lost my identity because I'd gone straight from the Brit school and straight from being sponsored and limos and all of this to having to like pay to get on a bus. So when it came to like doing a track or writing, I was like, it just felt like a massive failure. I was like, I can't do it. And I realized now what I was doing, I was blocking myself because I was putting my own restrictions on saying that, you know, in order to call myself a producer or a songwriter, I have to have a song in the charts or be writing for an artist, which is a very limiting belief. But it took a long while for me to rectify that. So in that time, I struggled with my confidence. And through that, coming out the other side, I was like, you know what? I realized that I just need to express myself. And that's all I want to do. And the magpie name is has many different things. One, obviously, I'm mixed race. I'm black and white. Two, I'm very much about frequency and the universe. And black and white aren't actually colors. You know, they're frequencies. And so there's loads of different reasons why I chose that name. And it's basically me as a producer. I put stuff out, and I guess as an artist as well, but I, I put stuff out now um, not for anyone to really be like, oh my God, look, I literally do it for my expression, my need, my need to release my expressions and my creativity. Yeah, I mean, I watched Fall Apart with me. And I, well, I mean, I listened to it first, but then saw it on your site. And yeah. both of those, just the audio and the video, are equally compelling and completely beautiful. I was so blown away by your vocals and just the mixing on it. Could you talk a little bit about how you approach songwriting? And I mean, it could be different for everyone, but just for that one specifically, because it's just, it's so beautiful. Everybody, if you go to her site, you'll see it and hear it. And it's called Fall Apart With Me. Thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate that. Um, it's funny because, again, I've got this thing where where I've done like R&B and pop and that's kind of like what I like. But when I sing, I don't sing that style. I, I just have to do what I feel. And it's a very, I don't even know what style it is, if I'm honest. That's why I asked. Yeah, like I just have, and this is why I just put stuff out because I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it's me. And... I wrote that song for someone else with someone else in mind. But I, or when I write, I always end up writing my own story anyway. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of writers do, like any song they yeah. write, it's always actually about them. And then for whatever reason, she couldn't do it. She loved it and was, she's a friend of mine. 
and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to keep it for me. And it was in lockdown. The video I had to shoot in 30 second bursts. My daughter was running up and down in the hallway, like outside the door. And it was, it's basically about being able to, and again, it goes through my transition of coming out of depression and having those moments where you can realize your worth and all of that. And it's being able to look at yourself and talk to the subconscious self, basically, and be okay with all of your scars and all of your traumas and everything you've gone through and say, do you know what? At the end of the day, you have yourself. Talk until we fall asleep because your subconscious mind is constantly going. So what you need to be doing is being kind to that and telling yourself the right things and say, you know, we beat ourselves up a lot. But the thing is as well, unless we look inside, unless we look in the mirror, we can't change. We can't get better. We cannot grow as human beings. Well, you can feel that. You can feel that it's a spiritual song. It sounds like a love song. But then now that you've explained it, I love that it's kind of a love song for yourself. Yeah. And not in the cheesy way. Also, just the way that you arrange the music, it's all very spiritual. So I, yeah, that's what drew me to it. I love it. The funny thing is, is like, I actually, the, the instruments were like, I'm very different when it comes to production and being an artist. So my artist head always comes on because what I did is like, even though the, the track was very like demo, when I transferred it, the guy I produce with, I like to kind of change out the instrumentation from what I start with. And I'll be like, yeah, we can use better drums or, you know, we can use this and we can use that. But I end up pretty much always going back to what I started with because even though it's not generally what's supposed to be used or done in like the law of a track, I like that sound. So I'm like, no, nothing else is working for me. But as it's a producer, funny. I would go for something like more digital. I would, But as an artist side of me, it's like, no, I want it to be like that. I want it to be empty. I want it to be awkward or, you know, and it's a very different narrative happening in my head. But I have to be true to it. And I did a cover of Running Up That Hill with Kate Bush. The same thing happened there. We were trying to get some different hi-hats to make it. And I was like, I want to use the really midi sounding hi-hats I don't want them to sound any different I like it like that even though I'm like it doesn't sound polished and it doesn't sound like this but I'm like that's how I want it to be it's very strange yeah but I mean sometimes when you know instinctually that's you know you have to go the full circle to know what you want you know you try something and then you're like well I just kind of like the way it was it's great yeah I would love for you, because a lot of our listeners are engineer heavy, if you could Mm -hmm. talk about what kind of processing you love using, like say on a robust mix that you do, as far as instruments that you like, because I know you have a native certification or do you work a lot in native? So I'm I'm a native certified specialist, which basically means like I can teach all their stuff and, and all that. I'm actually the only female in the UK as well. So I've also started learning Ableton as well, which I've done a few classes on. So I'm a Skillshare teacher. So I've done an introduction to an Ableton class on Skillshare, which is great. But I just think, especially for the sound to picture stuff that we do, we use a lot of native instrument packages. You know what I mean? Their, their instruments are like things like Farlight and Straylight are brilliant, you know. Mm. Another great piece of software is Output. It's just really good for like kicking off ideas. 
it allows you to say, for instance, you have a specific style of music that you want to do. You can choose a pack that will have some samples and stuff. And then when you play it, you can actually adapt it because it plays in MIDI so you can adapt it across your keyboard and you can then change it obviously mm. as you can with MIDI but it's just the way that the sounds are done and within the plugin you've got some little parameters that you can change as well I generally like don't like touching it I mean I might put a little bit of distortion or something but yeah I mean it depends on the type of music you're doing because it I feel like if you have a piece of software that has its own parameters it can get messy when you're coming to like mix things and stuff like that so me personally I like to do it all indoor do you know what I mean rather than because <laughs> later on down the mix you're like where's that noise coming from and you know you have to go and find it all so yes I think yes. it's best to kind of be clean going in and then you know you can add stuff afterwards but yeah output's great I mean it's just I think because from a creative perspective I don't have a lot of patience for sitting and find it like spending hours finding that right kick or that right snare. Dial it in, yeah. Drives me insane. I'm like, get an idea, get it down, record it, and then if it's not working, get rid of it. Yeah, I find too, it's it can kill the inspiration of and momentum if you get tweaky with it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Especially like from Inception, I think just, I'm a player of things. Like I'll just go in and play a bit with that. And then the minute I hear something that, is great. I'm like, there's my inspiration. Let's stick with that for a minute, you know. So um, mm. I don't necessarily have favorite things. I will just go by what I'm hearing in the moment at the time. So I wondered if you could talk about Peak Music and what that is. It's her website and it's your business, but it's just, it's really dense. And I'd love for you <laughs> to talk about that. So I'm literally a one man band. So Peak Music is essentially me. Yeah, it's really It's got cool. my one-to-one <laughs> my one-to-one training on there that I offer. It basically has a little bit about my songwriting past. It hasn't been updated for ages. I need to update it. It actually has all my podcasts going through there. So my podcasts, when I upload them, get put live on the page of the website. All of my bits and bobs that I'm doing. I would love to be so much more creative. But yeah, peak music is essentially... The reason why I first started it, and I don't think anyone knows that this, is Peak originally stood for Practice, Educate. Oh, what was it? I've even forgot it. Something smart, though. <laughs> I'll have to come back to it. But the last one is knowledge. I think that the A was action. like Because basically, it's like, unless you're practicing and you're educating yourself, taking action and gaining knowledge, that's when you can get your peak performance, you know. And it, this is a perfect segue to talk about We Are the Unheard. So if you could maybe give us a little background, how did it come about? What's its goals? Stuff like that. Sure. So We Are the Unheard started, oh God, I think two years ago. Got You know, like my brain is completely, like I've lost years. So the point of it is, I guess, I guess... <laughs> In 2000, I studied to be a sound engineer. I went to university. When I when I came back from being in Juice and I got depression, I was like, do you know what? I don't like the fame, the little bit of fame that I got, but I really was told I had a great ear and I really wanted to know what the knobs did on the other side of the glass in the studio. So I went and studied to be a sound engineer at Kingston University. Well, it's called Gateway School of Recording, validated by Kingston University. And it was a private university. And during my time there, I was only one of six 
females in the year and I was the only one of colour. And then we graduated in 2002 and then myself and one of the girls from university set up a recording studio and I also did my dissertation on the lack of female sound engineers in the industry. Wow, that's so early on too in 2000. I mean, I was working as an engineer before that, but I feel you. There's nobody. I could hardly get any information. And I was like, I have to write a yeah. dissertation. And I was like, I need information. And I couldn't, I was like, how am I going to write 10,000 <laughs> words when there's nothing? And the internet had literally only just kind of been born. So I was just like yeah. on this clunky, big old computer trying to like, you know, write a dissertation on the lack of female sound engineers. <laughs> It was bad. It was, I struggled. I struggled. Yeah, I struggled. But from that, myself and my business partner at the time set up a recording studio that was funded by the Prince's Trust. And we won that National Business Award there and an Enterprise in London Award because it was for disadvantaged children and to promote female producers. And this is in 2002. And it even got as far as talking to a TV company called Tiger Aspect about doing a fly-on-the-wall documentary because reality TV didn't even exist, where we went and worked with Missy Elliott in the States. That's like, we were actually... Did you? Yeah, it didn't come about, but we were doing this 20 years ago. And so what happened is, fast forward to now, I've started Peak and I'm sitting there, I'm doing stuff for Native and I'm like, what am I doing? I've seen all these female-led companies, and I'm like, what am I doing to make change? What, like, it's all good being a part of this, but I need to be doing something. And I actually sat and thought, I need to make change. So I started the campaign. And originally, I wanted the campaign to be a visual campaign. So you buy a T-shirt, and anyone who buys a T-shirt basically pays me to teach a female or gender minority person for free production on songwriting. And also with it being visible, you kind of like wear the T-shirt on socials, use the hashtag. And it was a way for me to think like all of the women that are doing stuff now, can we can all come together and we can shout together. Instead of us all as individuals, I've got a company that's trying to do this with women and I've got something, I'm trying to do this with women. I'm like, this is a way for us all to say like, yeah, we're unheard and we're all doing this, and but we're making change. That was my vision. And so I started with the first year raising awareness. And then I think through telling my story, I realized there are a lot of people that were unheard that weren't just in music. And that's what led me to start my podcast. And that's the majority of your podcast is women telling stories about things that are imparting power. Totally. That have been unheard in certain areas of their life. And it goes from everything. So we're talking religion. We're talking single parenthood. We're talking birth, menopause, PMD, PTSD. Like it goes on and on. And I think these are really important subjects to talk about. I'm someone who's, I've had a hysterectomy. I've, you know, had a bowel surgery. I've suffered from depression. I've come from a single parent family in a council estate. I'm seven years into my menopause. So they're all things that I know other people are going through. And for me, it's like, if we can just talk about this stuff and people can listen empathetically without judgment, we can help people and help, I guess, change the world one story at a time. And there is something really strong about audio and the power of it. 
you know. I agree too, especially because women so oftentimes your outward appearance, both how people perceive you and how you perceive yourself is such a strong part of our identity that taking it straight to audio, it's so much easier to focus and hear someone. So I'm with you on that completely. It's just another part to the campaign, you know, about sending the message and changing perspectives and changing the world. And then this year it was about taking action. And so I was like, I want to start an academy. And I've just been literally given funding to start my We Are The Unheard Academy, where I'm going to be teaching online females and gender minorities production uh, with Ableton. Oh, congratulations, Eve. This is that's huge. I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> no one knows it. I, I haven't even announced it yet. Well, now everybody will know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe you could give us a glimpse as to how people are going to find the Unheard Academy and what the future of it is. Of course. So basically, the We Are The Unheard Academy is going to have its own website. There's going to be obviously a link from my peak website as well, but it's going to have its own space. We've got some amazing partners that are signing up as well at the moment, which is going to make it brilliant. I'm starting with beginners and it's going to be online because that way I can reach more people. I want it to be like as accessible as possible. I don't want people to not be able to take it. And it's also going to be free. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing anyone has to do to get on the program is buy a hoodie and share it on your socials. You have a picture with the hashtags. That's like the only criteria to to get on the program. But um, yeah, it's going to be like eight weeks. Ableton are supporting me with it. So they're going to also help support with certified trainers from Ableton. And I'm lucky enough to know all of the amazing female certified trainers over here, which is brilliant. And so my aim for the academy is to have it you know go up to intermediate and advanced as well long term because I think long-term support is very important and there's going to be loads of other things as well like memberships free that they can access from our partners mentoring all this other stuff that they're going to be able to access through the academy. Eve, I'm absolutely blown away by this. And everybody listening, both in the States and overseas, definitely keep an eye out on Peak Music UK. There could be some great stuff from Sound Girls, like we would love to support you in cross-posting anything. So definitely send us some things. Plus Ableton is just top-notch and so relevant. So people wanting training on that. And I think you're really going to make a huge difference in giving women these resources. And I can't believe you're going to offer them for free. I'm just sort of blown away. So... Oh, bless you. Honestly, like, I think it's very easy, you know, for anyone going into business. I could set something up and charge people, like, stupid money. And that's just not what I'm doing this for. Like, my story and how I got where I got, you know, I had to pay 20 grand for university. The rest of the people that were on that course in that year, I was one of two people that whose parents didn't pay. And in my interview, they was like, how are you going to pay? And I said, I'll find the money. And I was like, why should I not be able to have the same opportunity as people with money? Just because, you know, I know that I have what it takes and I know that I'll apply myself. And I come from a background of from being in a council estate and I know there are phenomenal people that need a chance. And not to mention 
the diverse perspective that somebody with less resources brings to artistry and brings to anywhere. Yeah. But I mean, for me, like, I was like, I want to change this percentage. I want to change a percentage of producers. How am I going to do that? Teach them. That's me taking action. That's my way of taking action and making my small change, like being a tiny cog in this big wheel of change. You know, that's how I I can do my part. Yes, and and such a part it is. And I just applaud you for it. And everybody, those sweatshirts, those hoodies are so cool. I would (laughs) like one. I will support it and get one. Thank you. So everybody, check it all out. And I'm just... I'm kind of bowled over by your artistry and also just your philanthropy around it all. So thank you, Eve Horn. This will not be goodbye. We will look for you in the future with the Unheard Academy. I would love that. And yeah, let's definitely do something together. And thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. At Soundgirls, our mission is to inspire and empower the next generation of women in audio and music production. We provide you tools, knowledge, and support to further your careers. And we do it because we care. So follow us on Instagram at SoundgirlsPod, and you can find a huge amount of info on upcoming workshops and job resources at soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts? Check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance, To see all of the other podcasts in the Alliance, make sure to visit audiopodcast.org. The executive producers of the Sound Girls podcast are Becky Campbell and Susan Williams. This episode was produced by me, Rebecca Wilson, and edited by Robbie Mortimer. Our theme song was written and recorded by Jess Fenton. And we send a big thank you to our sponsors, QSC who, like Soundgirls, also wants to help empower you with the right tools, support, and service to help you create impactful connections. Find out more at soundgirls.org and qsc.com.